Greetings and welcome to episode 22 of the Big 5D podcast. We're all about exploring the Africa, Middle East, local and small business tech ecosystem by talking to the people who are building it. The Big 5D podcast is produced by Big 5 Digital, and I'm your host, Charles Laughlin. So today's episode is sponsored by Matchcraft, a global MarTech firm powering local search, social and display campaigns for partners on six continents. Matchcraft's newest offering is Powered By, an API solution giving third-party platforms access to the technology behind its flagship Advantage platform. Visit them at matchcraft.com. Today's guest is Deepankar Rustagi, CEO of Omnibiz, a Nigerian B2B startup focused on making life easier for small retailers in the fast-moving consumer goods space. Through his app, a small business retailer can order new stock and have it delivered immediately, rather than waiting days or weeks or having to close up shop to go hunt for new stock. His solution involves all three legs of the stool, the manufacturers, the retailers, most of them female-owned and grossing less than $1,000 a month, and drivers. Omnibus recently raised $3 million, bringing its fundraising total to $4 million since it formed in 2020. Deepankar says the company may need to raise as much as $50 million to fulfill all of its ambitions, which include geographic expansion. So let's let Deepankar explain the rest of his business and his outlook for Africa Tech. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for that chance. Great to see you again. For the sake of our audience, why don't you, before we talk about Omnibiz, which is a business that's gotten some coverage lately, raised some money, and we want to get into that, but let's talk about kind of your business background, just sort of a brief one or two minute version of what led you up to this point. Sure. So I'm an Indian by origin, qualified engineer, have been based in Nigeria, West Africa for the last 23 years, Uh, did my first startup in um, 2011. It was called WeConnect. And I think that's how we met Charles. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was around local search, uh, enabling small businesses to get identified and helping them um, make more business or grow their businesses online. And uh, post that, I've started Omnibus, which is again around small businesses, uh, helping retailers in the FMCG segment uh, scale their businesses, solve their problems, and uh, compete with the larger modern trade. So, Okay. That's, that's about it. Okay. So one quick question I'm always interested in. Um, what originally brought you to Nigeria? Um, originally, I came in as a, I, I came in with my family. My dad used to work here okay. uh, in textile. And after that, I left for my engineering, finished that, worked with uh, consulting, software consulting for three years in Bangalore, and then got an opportunity to work in FMCG. FMCG is very exciting because it's dynamic and fast moving. So I uh, took that opportunity and came back to Lagos. So for those who don't know, FMCG is fast moving consumer goods. Consumer goods, absolutely. Yeah. I always have to define the acronyms, right? Uh, okay, absolutely. so let's, Sorry. yeah. So you've, Omnibiz, um, I want to get into this in some detail because it's. In, I, I've seen a, a few businesses are, uh, kind of similar to this pop-up around Africa. And it seems to be a, an interesting area because there's so many of these small, small business, very small businesses in many cases, you know, ha- handling the, these goods. And there's a lot of friction in, in that sort of business model uh, and that technology is coming in to solve a lot of those friction points. Talk about why you identified this market 
kind of maybe share some numbers about what told you this was a good opportunity? Uh, it's a large market. In Nigeria alone, there are a little more than 1 million retailers. Uh, it's a very significant portion of the market. That means 96% uh, of the overall food consumption or uh, household food and beverage consumption happens through this chain. 96 is great. Uh, is a very large portion. In other countries, this is divided between the traditional trade and modern trade. And modern trade resides anywhere between 50 to 60% in more developed countries. So uh, this, this problems that the traditional trade faces in this market are significant. If you solve part of the problem, you're making a significant change which will impact the economy directly. So uh, when we shut down WeConnect, we interacted with a couple of FMCG companies because that's where I worked in Nigeria before we connect. And we started consulting. A couple of us started working with them, consulting with them. Uh, and uh, that's how we moved ahead. When we consulted for them, we found out where the problems are, what are the challenges, and the international sales force automation softwares, uh, global softwares that people were using were expensive and were not solving the real problem. So and when you say you're a consultant, I'm sorry. When you say you're consulting, who are you consulting with? The the manufacturers, the distributors. Who are you? All of the above. Uh, consulting for the manufacturers. So we were working with the manufacturers, but the idea they had was to dip down. So their sales team gives them a perspective of what's not working, but not why it's not working. So the idea was we want to find out why it's not working and is there a way, a technology solution that can help us uh, scale the retailers or the redistribution. Okay, so talk about a few of the, you mentioned some problems. Now we're talking about the million retailers. Generally, these are very small shops, right? For the most part. Where's yeah, that? for most part of it, you're talking about someone doing a $1,000 monthly turnover. Uh, you're talking about a small kiosk or above keeping 30 to 50 SKUs, uh, SKUs are stock keeping units. Each item that you find in a retail store is called SKU. Mm -hmm. um, so these are these are guys, basically, uh, you just come out of your office or come out of your house and you don't have water or you don't have ketchup or you don't have noodles or you don't have basic essentials in the house and you just walk to them and right. get it and start filling. Okay. And so what were the um, pain points that the manufacturers identified that you you started to look at solving so getting reach for manufacturers in developing markets or in specifically in nigeria is very expensive uh it's you have minimal data to track your performance you have to invest in your own direct sales team to manage the distributors sub distributors and in certain extents chains like retail chains or horeca or supermarkets um modern trade chains and that is a big investment. Uh, even after that, the numeric distribution, which is uh, in how many outlets of their category is their product available, uh, is still low. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have a solution to it. So if you go to South Africa or if you go to uh, another country which has a more established trade, you can actually just tie up with certain channels and your product would be made available. I mean, you have to pay for the availability of the product, but it would be made available. Mm -hmm. In this case, even after setting up manufacturing, even after tying up with distributors, the challenges were uh, regularity and availability of the product and shelves okay. from the manufacturer's perspective. 
Okay. And the idea of having a direct sales force to deal with so many very, very small businesses is, is the idea that they are manufacturers, maybe getting a little ahead of it, but are manufacturers looking for a way to reduce the size of that sales force uh, through, Absolutely. More, yeah, through more efficient uh, processes like you're, tra you're trying to develop? I mean, talk about it. So it's a cost efficiency issue for them, right? Um, among other things. So more than more than the cost efficiency issue for the manufacturers, it's it's not scalable. So yeah. they have hit a upper limit. Some of the best manufacturers have a fifty to sixty percent numeric distribution. Uh, the leading players in those categories, let's say beer, the leading beer would have sixty percent numeric. Mm -hmm. Leading noodles will have sixty percent numeric, but the follow-on player would be in their twenties, and the follow-on player would be in a single digit. Mm -hmm. So. In these markets, your numeric distribution typically decides how significant you would be, how big you would be. And that's their concern that even after investing the money, even after having a direct sales team, the growth has not shown in terms of what they were expecting. Okay. So talk about how you how your solution works and what it does and how it solves these problems. So we work uh, with multiple stakeholders in the industry primary stakeholders is manufacturers. We work with them. We get a commitment on consistency of the products. We work with distributors who currently work with the manufacturers, but they do multiple things, which is arranging for working capital, arranging for warehouses, arranging for logistics and manpower to do all this. Mm -hmm. So in our model, distributors only do warehousing and uh, manpower arrangement. We do the working capital arrangement. So we provide the goods based on our understanding of that area and orders that we get. So we have a predictive logic, which we tell them, these are the products and this quantities you have to keep in the warehouse. Mm -hmm. We receive, we have uh, gone on the field and uh, recruited retailers, trained them how to use the application. Those retailers, when they need at any point in time, whether it's night, day, whenever they need certain products to refill their shelves, they place the order to us. These orders are routed to the nearest hubs who have the stock, which are owned by distributors. And then we have partnered third-party logistics on our platform who pick from that hub and distribute to the retailer digitally and get a e-electronic proof of delivery. Okay, uh, so in my understanding of from the retailer's perspective, one of the challenges pre previously that before having an application like this is that they would often have to close up shop and, and run out and uh, and restock and then come back and reopen uh, so they absolutely. would lose trade while they're, you know, while they're, you know, once they run out of, uh, whatever it is, beer, ketchup, <laughs> whatever it is. Absolutely. And then, uh, so what you're, you're, you're solving a clear pain point for them while allowing them to continue trading while they, uh, yeah. restock their inventory. So that's, so we effectively increase their, uh, productive hours. They don't have to shut down their stores. They don't have to order. So previously they used to wait the time all the SKUs or all the products on the shelves don't finish, they wouldn't go for part order. Uh, now they can order whatever has finished. There is a minimum order quantity, but they can order whatever has finished. So they can order multiple times in a week rather than once in two weeks. All right. So instead of waiting until you do a bulk order to, you could be without a certain popular item for days, potentially, uh, which affects your trade as well. Yeah, yeah. What do you provide to the, um, in terms of like financial support or other things to the retailer? 
if any so in terms of financial support uh, at the moment we don't provide uh, we we currently cash on delivery okay. or uh, transfer on delivery there's no cre- there's no so, credit component to this so we don't have credit component now we are launching a credit component um it's specifically for retailers who are regularly buying on our platform because we have a good idea of their purchase strength yeah so we have vetted them verified them and now we are offering them a, right. a credit component which is credit for product purchases right so yeah then that's an important point because uh, platforms like yours you're seeing you you're seeing what their orders are you know what kind of money is flowing through their business you probably know what their uh, payment history is and then uh you can probably make as good a judgment on a sort of a micro credit um decision as anyone yeah Absolutely I think that's a very important part of the game that's why you see recently there have been great number of investments in this industry in this area in the african space in i mean everywhere in egypt whether you talk about kenya east africa right. west africa or you go outside indonesia pakistan india right. all of them have have had great number of investment and uh, retail lending is a big space for uh, future of um, I mean, the digital banks or future of uh, trade growth. Right. So, and I would imagine you probably think it's a pretty important piece for you to have. You're obviously launching that. So what is, um, so, so, t- so you also, so you have the retail piece, you have the app that they use to order. Right now it's COD, but eventually there'll be some credit to, to eligible businesses. You have a, yeah, you have a rider Sorry, component or delivery component to it. So you're pretty much a full, you're kind of a full stack or I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but you're, you have the, the full ecosystem. Um, so talk about the delivery piece. Uh, so you run, you basically run a gig platform for delivery or talk about that piece a little bit. Right. So um, we found out with experience that with the growth of Jumia, Konga and various other e-commerce companies, there are small scale logistics companies that have emerged mm-hmm. who manage between 20 to 50 vehicles. And instead of going into logistics on our own, because that's a very tough part of this business, um, getting logistics right is challenging. And mm-hmm. this is one part where you scale and you spend more. So right. someone who has 500 vehicles is going to be spending more than someone who has 50 and similarly more than someone who has five. So we said we're going to aggregate them with, a, with technology. So we onboarded these uh, um, third-party logistics providers. We trained their drivers as well as their fleet managers in terms of how to track, how to see, how to see the earnings, and how to start and stop the trips. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we have done. Um, once they start their day, they start their. Uh, once they start their day, they receive trip details, and uh, they don't. They have to accept the details and go to the nearest hub. Once they have picked, their working hours start counting. The the more the number of deliveries they make successful delivery, the more they earn. So you can call it a little bit like Uber, but just B2B, where um, people can earn more and everyone who has a vehicle can come and join and start to movies. So, so you have individuals um, with a motorbike in, in the network as well as third-party companies. You have companies that aggregate these riders for you, or is it a combination of aggregation, aggregators and individuals? So it's mostly vans, small scale vans, yeah. uh, the one ton vans, but um, yeah, motorbike, yeah. <clears throat> mostly uh, aggregated by companies. Yeah, so yeah. we don't 
we have a couple of guys who are individual and who have scaled to buying the second van and the third van but mostly we prefer people who have 10 vans plus so it's easier for them to manage their operations and we are even supporting them in getting loans from the financial institutions to scale their business okay so you mentioned a minute ago that companies are getting funded to do this um i've i've noticed one in uh it was in east africa i think it's market force i think it's called and they they raised some money and, and part of the raise was to expand in uh, uh into nigeria and then there's i think is a trade depot i often get these names wrong <laughs> so there, there's yeah, there are many. talk about the competitive environment uh you know usually there's um enough available market to draw in and support a few competitors, at least for a while. But talk about the field, how you see it and, and how you see yourself as different from your competitors and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, so I think one of the key differences is uh, we started with technology first component. We were not focused on uh, accruing assets. We were more fo focused on finding partners who could do it. Mm -hmm. So when you said you are a 360 degree gig uh, in terms of doing logistics, doing warehousing, practically we don't do any of the logistics or the warehousing. We get it done. So right. most point. of the other companies are doing it. Yeah. Uh, doing the warehousing or the logistics piece or some of them doing both of them on their own. Our differentiation is <clears throat> that we do not get into doing it on our own. Number two is uh, this helps us in scaling efficiently. Uh, second key difference is uh, the number of SKUs that we offer. So if you see the long-term problem that we are solving is really the retailer's problem. And we are focused on the retailer. So the number of SKUs that we offer on our platform is aimed to complete the variety that a retailer buys. So he doesn't have to go anywhere else to buy. And lastly, uh, I think we're going to offer a couple of other tools other than lending to the retailers, like a retailer CRM. So he or she can manage their business. I rather more she's 76, 78% of the retail ecosystem in Nigeria is driven by females. So we want them to be able to manage their stock, their stores and their business in a much more efficient. So way. even all their uh, financial records and all the, so, so almost like an, you almost having a, a zero functionality built in a, in a CR. Well, CRM is different from accounting, but like that whole full stack uh, business management yeah. application. Yeah. Yes. So I wouldn't call that? it a ERP because it's small, mm -hmm. uh, but it's currently we already have their stock because they're buying from us. Yeah. So we are enabling them to sell so they can actually take out a small profit and loss account statement and know every day what was sold, how much money was effectively made, and what needs to be replenished. Uh, mm -hmm. A little bit about that. So we're not going into salaries. We're not getting into other parts of the company yet. No payroll, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah no payroll, correct. Okay. What about, um, actually, this is a slight aside, but uh, I've been writing a lot about um, different like uh, payments solutions around buy now pay later and then earn wage access and things like that um have you looked at those types of applications and thought about ways to integrate those into what you're doing yeah so we are uh, speaking to a couple of players in terms of offering loans uh in terms of invoice financing in yeah. terms of uh, other uh, tools to enable the vendors uh, retailers to scale uh, we haven't closed any partnership yet but hopefully soon you should see some partnerships around lending on our platforms. Okay. Now, 
you said something a moment ago that's interesting, which is that 70, I think you said 76% of um, the retailers are, female, are women. Um, didn't know that. That's very interesting. Um, what do you kind of see your, often I talk to companies and they have sort of a, a social impact um, angle to what they're doing. Uh, there's, they're trying to further a, a social goal, uh, make money in the process, don't be mistaken, but uh, do you have that thought in terms of helping retailers in some way, uh, you know, expand their businesses, uh, make their businesses larger? Do you have a vision there? A very, very clear vision there. So, you know, overall, there are like 25 to 30 million households in Nigeria. And um, we mentioned one, re one million retailers. So these are approximately 5 million uh, I mean, people directly getting impacted. So it's one household in Nigeria is supposed to have like uh, five to six people uh, based on their census. So five to six million people are directly getting impacted if the retail business runs well. And it's normally run by the lady of the house. So we see her making much more contribution, the family getting more independent and having uh, scalability means better standard of living. And... Uh, more liquidity so we feel us making an impact will improve their standard of living and will give the lady of the house more independence and uh, uh, you know uh, skills or tools to scale up that's we believe this will really impact the economy in a big way. okay great now um what are your uh, you've mentioned some products you want to add the crm the financial piece um what other ambitions do you have uh, for example Nigeria is such a big country, at least in terms of population, um, that it takes a while to, to fully uh, develop that opportunity. But I mean, is, is what's Omni Business International uh, ambitions, for example? Um, we're looking for partners in expanding into other geographies. We believe um, this business is pretty local, uh, even though we are technology driven. Africa is not a country, it's a continent and right. countries here are pretty diverse. So going into East Africa or going into Egypt or South Africa or even in Ghana and Ivory Coast, we prefer to move in with partners and we'll be rolling out our partnership modules soon. So we are uh, onboarding partners who have done the logistics or understand the logistics bit, understand the warehousing bit in these countries and would be willing to be a core partner in that country to drive it. Um, so, yeah, uh, we are going to expand very soon into other West African markets. Uh, that's our stage one. And uh, we would want to be the leaders in the West African space prior to us moving into other markets in Africa. Okay. So when you say a local partner, what would a local partner look like? Would it be a company that does, I mean, what's, what's, a, what's a logical local partner? look like so a logical local partner is someone who has uh, experience of doing uh, uh, of working with logistics companies or working with warehousing companies mm -hmm. who has uh, connection with manufacturers in that in mm -hmm. that uh, region so that's what uh, a partner looks like a lot of companies look at getting a country head uh, and then starting up we feel uh, that's, that's also a very interesting approach. We feel there are companies who are into the traditional trade model and are looking at digitization partners. So if there is someone with the right mindset we meet, 
we would be happy to be the digitization partner and they could be the operation partner for that country. Okay, right, okay. So rather than just that to build a team, you're looking to, yeah, okay. That's fair. Uh, okay, so I I'm, want to sort of broaden the conversation uh, for a few minutes. Um, now, you know, Africa gets a lot of attention because there's a lot of investment coming in uh, for various different things. But how would you, you've just raised three million? How would you describe that experience in terms of what were the challenges? You know, what sort of what, if any, uh, you know, uh, reservations did you have to overcome? That sort of, uh, the unique challenges of raising money for an African business. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I think lots and lots of capital now is available. Uh, for African businesses, especially after the pandemic, a lot of uh, I think across globally there is a lot of capital available. Yeah, so raising has become substantially easier. In the African contest, there is the challenge of trust. A lot of investors um, who are open to investing in your company are looking at someone to make the first move. And once you have that one person who has made the first move, they try and gauge their belief or their understanding of the business and then mm -hmm. they bet on the other investors. So I think that's how I have seen uh, uh, the, those movements or some of other friends who raised capital in the recent recent six months have seen this, this trend more. Um, other challenges we face is um, there are a lot of seed investors available who can cut you a check between 25000 to $300,000 but there are uh, less number of series A investors available. But I think uh, series A and series B investors are making their ways. I'm sure you heard the news of SoftBank investing in- um, Just saw it today, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. so there are some great uh, investors making making interesting moves in investing in Africa. Uh, I think- Just for our listeners, the, right the reference there was SoftBank investing in OPE, right? So um, yeah, <laughs> didn't finish that thought. I'm oh, sorry, carry on. Yeah, so uh, that's that's exactly. I think a lot of international money is finding its way into Africa. So you need to be vocal. You need to be loud about your storytelling. And uh, if you build the right connections, you can attract great capital. Okay. So you, your current raise, you've got, um, like you say, you've got a very scalable model in the sense that you don't um, build everything. You you build software and you connect things into it, right? So. Uh, that's much easier to, to scale that model, uh, but still, businesses take a lot of capital. When do you? Th it's probably hard to ask how much money do you going to need to raise to, to fulfill your 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 vision, but um, how soon will you have to go back? And um, and what are the the things that are going to be the most expensive part of scaling your business? So we will be back in the market soon, not because uh, we'll be out of money, but mostly because I think our growth rate is uh, great and uh, we need to continue growing at the 40-45% month on month. Mm -hmm. um, that's what we aspire to do. For that, we will need to expand both vertically in each country as well as horizontally, horizontally in some of the other geographies. For which we will be raising money. So our seed round was more of a, a reality check that yes, people believe in us. Our series A will be out in the market soon. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of how much money we would want to, we would need to raise in the long term. Um, I see us raising between thirty to fifty million dollars in in the short long term. 
to a create a significantly large. When you say yeah, short, so long in, term, in the next three years. years. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah, two to three years. Mm -hmm. uh, the objective behind that is um, in this model, it's you can't uh, have fifty players in each market. There will be consolidations, or there will be uh, there will be. Scaling up will be much faster. This is not a model that uh, has not existed, like the Ubers or the Airbnb. This is a model that has existed. This is basically digitization of the existing model. So things are going to be uh, very different two years down the line in this market. So it's mm -hmm. not a 10-year shift model. So when you say that you need the capital because of the, you need to be in a position to be a consolidator? <laughs> is that part of what you're saying? Uh, so you need to be in a position to be able to continuously acquire in the new territories. So when we raised, we were in two cities. As we speak, we are in six cities in Nigeria. I mentioned to you, we are working towards expansion in West Africa already. So going into a new market, you have to plow the land. You have to invest uh, in building the team as well as uh, onboarding the retailers from scratch. Mm -hmm. um, I think that requires investment. Uh, it also requires uh, investment to build the products that we're talking about to do the lending. So there is a significant requirement of capital, but yeah, uh, in this model, there is an immediate return on it. So it's not a B2C model in terms of e-commerce where uh, hundreds of millions of dollars have been invested <clears throat> and the volume jumps have not come in uh, because that trend didn't exist here. We are basically saying what you buy from uh, a more inconvenient channel, distributed channel, fragmented channel. If that can be simplified and executed right at your doorstep, would you be interested? Yeah. And majority of the places, if the service is quality and consistent, uh, we've got a positive response. Yeah. Leads to a question I probably should have asked earlier, which is how do you acquire your merchants? So we, uh, we have a field team called a field agent where agents can register on our platform. Mm -hmm. And uh, then they are trained on how to scout for the right retailers, who are the retailers who can be on the platform. And then they go and onboard those retailers. Once the retailer places the first order, that's when they get um, <clears throat> the incentive for bringing that retailer on board. Is that an independent, uh, like a, is that an independent channel or is that a owned channel? Are they employees or are they? Uh... It's no, they're not employees. It's an independent channel. Most of them have, uh, they work with other companies as well. Okay. So if they don't, they're not exclusive to the power chain. Okay. Okay. But that there are some people who do it full time. All right. Well, look, it has been good catching up with you and uh, finding out about your business. And um, we wish you the best of luck. It feels like you're uh, with 45% growth. What monthly growth rate is that what you said? Yes. That's, I mean, I, that's what you, I guess that's. Kind of what you need when you're in a fast growing business, but that's a very impressive uh, accomplishment and we wish you success keeping up with it and we'll keep an eye on your expansion. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Charles. Look forward to connecting again yes. and discussing more about it. Absolutely. All right. Thank you very much for your time.